Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby of Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and put your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. This past week, I, I got a call from a from a friend of mine, and um, you know, I, I saw his name pop up on my phone, and I was like, "Oh no," because there I'm snake bit with this guy, and every time he calls me, I've got something going on, and I missed a wild cow gathering uh, last year because, because of a wedding that I was doing that day. But, but this guy calls me. And so I answer and he's like, Hey, what are you doing? And y'all have heard me what I say about that. Cause when a cowboy calls you and the first thing he says is, Hey, what are you doing? You're fixing to be doing something. And so I was like, Hey, what's up? You know, you don't ever answer just so you know, if I ever call you and say, what are you doing? Don't answer. And, uh, he's like, Hey man, I, I need help. Uh, doctor in a sick calf. Can you come help me tomorrow? Man, and, and, and the next day I had a I had a breakfast meeting early that morning, and then I had a twelve o'clock appointment, and I was going to have to get my horse, and you know, and I could have said I could have said, man, it's tomorrow's not a good time, but this is a sick calf, you know. You don't just call the sick calf and say, hey man, can you wait till you know, like day after tomorrow? You know, don't die until day after tomorrow, so we can get out there. You know that doesn't happen, and so I took a deep breath and I was like, "Oh man, I, I tell I, I've told he's asked me for help twice before, and I've had to turn him down both times because of stuff that was just unavoidable." And but this time I had about a two-hour window of opportunity, so I said, "Yeah, I, I'll help you. Be at, be at my house at, at at ten o'clock, and I'll be ready to go then, and we'll go out there and get your calf doctored, and you know we'll come back in." And he's like. Okay, man, I really appreciate it. And he showed up about 940 and I was ready at 945. So we headed out by Spring Valley Golf Course and, and got out there. And uh, anyway, we get our horses unloaded and we're walking. And he says, the, uh, the calf's number is 953. Oh, okay. So I'm not really paying much attention to the, uh, to the ear tags. I'm looking for a sick calf, you know. And so I'm, I'm riding along and, and everything looks good. And then I look up and I, and I see this calf nursing and the cow's number is 953. And I'm like, hey, do the cow's numbers match the calf numbers? You have to ask that sometimes. And uh, you don't take any assumptions when it comes to ranchers, okay? And so he said, yeah, they match it. I said, well, here's cow 953 and she got one nursing on her. And he said, well, that's gotta be, that's gotta be him. And so anyway, this little calf turns around and I felt so sorry for this thing, man. His ears are just droopy. He's got milk all over his nose and he just doesn't look like he feels good at all. So I step off and I, he's kind of a big calf. I step off and kind of grab another couple of holes on my cinch and run it through. And then I get my rope and put my horn knot on and shuck out a loop. And little did I know that a miracle was fixing to happen because by doing that, I had healed this calf. Because I took two steps forward and those ears came up and he went. You ever tried to rope something in a bunch of yucca? You better be pretty man from Snowy River handy to to ride my big bay horse through a bunch of soap weed or yucca or whatever y'all call it up here. Because we're ducking and diving in this. I mean, this calf is smoking, man. He's got a flame coming out of his hind end about like this. And I am trying to close the gap and, and, and it is getting Western really, really quick. But what happened next, you'll never believe, but you'll have to wait a minute for that. Today, I'm going to tell you 
the secret trick to overcoming what's been holding you back. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I read this about 10 days ago. This verse that I'm fixing to give you. I've read it before. I, I can't tell you how many times I've read it. And, and, and it's never really meant anything to me. But this time when I read it, it was, and, I, and when I use these words, guys, y- y'all don't read too much into what I'm saying. Just, you know, you're, you're reading along and it's like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then something is just like nearly neon, just and God's like, this is what you need right here. A lot of people say, well, I don't understand when I read the Bible. Well, just start reading. And then, you know, when, when you do find something you understand, how about focusing on that there? Genius. You know, you ain't got to understand all of it. Nobody understands all of it except Jesus. Okay. So this was like neon lights. And man, I sat there and I looked at four words, just four words. And I can tell you in the last 10 days that those four words have changed my life. I don't sleep very good. And after reading these four words, looking at them as a promise from God and applying those four words to my life, I bet you I haven't slept through the night, like, you know, from 10 or 11 till about five when I usually get up. I haven't slept through the night four times in four years. And I've slept through the night four times in the past 10 days because of these four words. If you felt like maybe you've plateaued, I appreciate everybody that has noticed that I have been working out for a solid year, (laughs) nearly. But, you know, sometimes you reach plateaus. You'll make some really big gains and and then you'll get to a point where, man, you're working just as hard as you ever did, but but you're not growing. And, And maybe that's the way your faith feels like is that you've kind of plateaued. We've all been there. If you haven't been there, you will get there. Okay. Maybe you feel like you've plateaued. These four words, this secret way will help you get above that plateau. Maybe you've backslid. And, and if you've been a Christian for very long, it, it, it's going to happen, man. You're going to be on fire for a little while and you're going to be doing good. You're going to be reading the book, you man. You're going to be, uh, you're going to be praying. You're going to be trusting in God. You're going to be having faith. You're going to be staying away from all that stuff that you used to get into. And then you're going to go along for a little while and then you're going to backslide a little bit. And you're going to think, what in the world am I doing? These four words will help keep you out of a backslide. Maybe you've just been unmotivated. It's not that you're mad. It's not that anything's bad. It's just like you just got the, huh, you know, and, and, and we've all been there. Maybe you've felt fatigued. Maybe, it, maybe it's a step beyond unmotivated. Maybe, maybe you're just dog tired. Maybe you're just in a funk. Maybe you're just being pissy. You know what I mean? And you know, I, you know, I, you know, I speak plain and many of you, y'all been this way. You just walk around and you, you, you just finding something to, to, to gripe about. You don't, you know. You know, maybe you've just felt like you're suffering and you have no idea why. These four words, this one little Bible verse can help you overcome all of that. In a section on suffering, Peter gives us a secret to overcoming many of our problems that we face on a daily basis. But I'm going to give you a warning. Do not miss the power of these four words. Because when I tell you what they are, you're not going to think it's a big deal. You're going to be like, you really built that up, Kevin. And <laughs> but I'm telling you, if you will look at these four words and put them into practice, it has the potential to change your life. In a section on suffering, Peter gives us the secret to overcoming many of our problems that we face on a daily basis. Things like Peter talks about, you know, dealing with people that are stupid. Okay. And people can be stupid. 
You know, now understand that you are never stuck in traffic. You are traffic, okay? Let's keep that clear. You You have never been stuck in traffic. You are traffic. So when you're dealing with stupid people, understand, we have a great big tendency to be that also. He talks about how to deal with people during hard times. He also talks about how hard it is to do the right thing. Peter talks about how to deal with fear. And Peter talks about how to stand up for your faith in the midst of attacks. And right smack in the middle of this paragraph where he talks about all of these things, he gives us a four-word simple secret to overcoming feeling plateaued, backsliding, unmotivated, fatigued, in a funk, or maybe just feel like you're suffering and you don't even know why. First Peter chapter three, verse 16. Everybody knows what the, what the most famous verse in the Bible is, right? John, what? This is first Peter three sixteen, And he says, keep your conscience clear. Keep your conscience clear. Now, like I said, I gave you a warning. Don't miss the power of these four words because it seems so simple. Because keeping your conscience clear is a lot more powerful and a lot more difficult than, than just saying that. Many people confuse a clear conscience with self-justification. Make no mistake about it. When, we, when the Bible talks about a clear conscience, he, the Bible, the good book is not talking about self-justification. And, and you know what? We've all been guilty of it. I, I know some people that can justify everything they do. They can twist the word of God to support their narrative. They can do whatever. Th- their idea of right is whatever they believe, not what God says. Never confuse having a clear conscience with being able to self-justify anything that fits your narrative, okay? That, that, that's the main thing I want to get across. A lot of people that, well, I, you know, I've got a clear conscience about that. Just because you think you have self-justified doesn't mean that you have a clear conscience. See, your opinions on matters won't lead to a clear conscience. I mean, you, you, you can think anything you want. God gave you free will. You can think what you want, but just because you think it doesn't make it right, you know, I, you, don't have, you don't have any idea how many times somebody asks me a question and I give them a biblical truth and they say, well, I just don't believe that. <laughs> well, good for you, cowboy. You can believe whatever you want. I gave you the truth and it didn't come from me. It came from God's word. You don't get to be the judge of what is right and wrong. Only God does. Your opinions on matter will not lead you to a clear conscience, no matter how fully you believe in something. And it's not about doing what you think is right. It's about doing what God says is right. And that's a huge difference. It's the difference in East and West, North and South, Cowboys and Redskins. I mean, it's as big as you can. It's a big difference. Okay. Two things that get in the way of a clear conscience. Think about that. What would damage a clear conscience? Well, the first one is obvious, right? What is it? Sin, right? I mean, anytime we sin... And the detrimental part of sin is that a lot of times we don't realize that, that how bad it's hurting us. It's like a poison that takes sometimes days or weeks or months or even years to fully happen. But man, every time we sin, you know, we're putting a little bit of poison in, in our mouth and, it, and it's not necessarily poison that just affects our body. It's a poison that affects our soul. The second thing that will get in the way of a clear conscience it's not as obvious, but I believe it is just 
as important as staying away from sin, as, as detrimental as, as sin is in our lives. This next one is just as detrimental. And it's this, not living up to your full potential, not living up to your full potential. Because you didn't think that I knew, but I do know because you're capable of a lot more than you're doing right now. You try to act like not, you're like, oh no, I do, I do the best I can every single time. No, you don't. You are capable of more than you are doing right now. <laughs> and I don't care how much you try to convince everybody else of it. I just want you to know that I know and that you know you are capable of more than you are doing right now. And when you don't live up to your full potential, you hurt yourself. You, you, you go to bed at night and you're like, man, you know, maybe you don't even say anything, but, but you know deep down in your craw that you didn't live up to your full potential. So how do we develop a clear conscience? A clear conscience, man, keep your conscience clear. It sounds simple. It's like one of those things that you just read over, but it is powerful, powerful, powerful. And while it may seem simple, it may not be as simple to achieve as it is simple to read. Four ways to develop a clear conscience. The first is confession. It's confession. Now, I ain't got a porta potty set up at my house with one right next to it that we come sit in next to each other, okay? And you tell me all your stuff. I ain't got that, all right? Maybe we should get it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. But when I talk about confession, man, you know, the Bible says to confess your sins to God. Man, the, the, the first step in getting rid of it to clearing your conscience is admitting where you screwed up. Sometimes it's, it's a, it's a per, I mean, it is a purposeful choice. Is there such thing as a purposeful choice? I don't know. But you know what I mean. You did it on purpose. And, and sometimes you, you, you just messed up, okay? But when we sin and when we don't live up to our full potential, we need to go to God with that. But you know, sometimes, and, and this may be kind of hard for some of you to understand, but sometimes it's not just God that you need to go to because the Bible says to confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Maybe you need to go to a friend. Maybe you need to come sit in the porta potty next to me. I, I, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ didn't come into this world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. And if you ever need to talk to me and confess a sin, I will not judge you. <clears throat> I will not judge you. I may kick you in the Wrangler pockets and tell you to get up and don't ever do that crap again. But I will never judge you. I'll never judge you. You have no idea the cleansing of going to God with where you've screwed up. And even going to somebody, maybe you sinned against somebody. Maybe you need to go to that person. Maybe you need to man up and go to that person and say, hey, man, I, I, I really jacked this up and this is what happened. You know, maybe you need to go have a talk with your husband. Maybe you need to have, go have a talk with your wife. Maybe you need to go have a talk with your friend or your boss or your, or your employee. But you have no idea of the powerful effect that confession has when you confess it to God and you confess your sins to somebody else. A friend of mine, one of my few mentors in the ministry had this to say about confession. He said, confession is great for the soul and bad for the reputation. And that's true. Which one would you rather have? A clear conscience or a reputation based on lies? If you want a clear conscience, never doubt the power of confession. When, when, when you confess with your mouth, our words have power. 
And when you, it's like taking that poison that's been eaten away at your soul and basically spitting it out. The second way to develop a clear conscience is repentance. You know, I mean, let, let's be honest, man. You're, you're usually not sitting around with a bunch of cowboys at Patty Ann's and talking about confession, okay? You're usually not sitting in a boardroom or, or teaching or, or working along somebody digging a ditch, and the subject is repentance. These are usually church words, okay? I get that. But just because they're kind of church words doesn't mean that they're not powerful. Repentance. I love the definition that like a nine-year-old little girl, I don't know, I mean, I know she was a young girl, but somebody asked what repentance was, and this little girl said, repentance is being sorry enough to quit. Being sorry enough to quit. So we don't just confess our sins to God and possibly to others, probably needed to confess to others. But we also have to repent of that because if we keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over, you know, I mean, come on, you know, that, that, that's living in habitual sin. Not only do we need to confess it, but we need to repent of it. We need to be sorry enough to quit. If we're going to confess that it was a mistake, why are we going around continuing to make mistakes all the time on purpose? Damaging our souls. Man, they, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like cutting. I mean, some people hurt bad enough that maybe they do that, but, but it ain't good for you. It ain't good for you. We need to confess our sins to God and to one another. We also need to repent if we want a clear conscience. You got to be sorry enough to quit. I mean, if we're going to confess it, if we think enough to confess it, we need to be uh, sorry enough to not do that anymore. And the third thing that we have to do to develop a clear conscience is live righteously. Ah, there's another church word. Another church word right there, man. Kevin's on a roll. Okay. What, do, what does righteousness mean? It means doing the right thing. And the right thing is it can only be defined as God's way, not your way. Because I, I guarantee you, man, if God would let me, I would change a lot of the Bible to, to fit my narrative, to make it a lot easier on me. But he ain't going to let me do that. So in order to do what God says, that's when you live righteously, when you do things the way God says to do them. A lot of us, I mean, I don't think we would be here today unless we said that we loved the Lord. Well, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? That's what living righteously means, is to do things God's way. If you want to learn how to develop a clear conscience, quit doing everything your way and self-justifying it. You know, one of, the saddest term, one of the saddest statements I ever hear from Christians is, well, everybody sins and God forgives me. Well, that is true, but that should break your heart because every time we sin, we're like one of those hammer strokes that nailed him to the cross. But just because it's a truth doesn't mean it's a great excuse that we can just continue to live in sin. We need to live righteously. We need to live the way God says to live and do things the way God says to do things. We need to treat people the way God says to treat people. Confess, repent, live righteously. And the fourth thing is serve, is serve. I heard a statement that changed everything. And I'm going to make a confession. Y'all have heard me preach about serving, I don't know how many times. I have basically, well, God has built this ministry through people like me and Ty and, and Jason and Andy and Sherilyn and, and all these other people that, that have an integral part of, of this ministry, you know, from Gary to Robert and Sue and, and everybody that, that has a hand in this. I have preached about serving, I don't know how many times, but I'm going to confess to you that I really didn't know what it meant. And what I mean by that is 
I, I wasn't sure where the line was. Does that mean that I just go take responsibility for everybody and, and just go do everything for people? What does serving mean? I mean, how do we serve? And I finally heard it from a guy named Wally Amos said the other day that the goal of every Christian should be to serve. And the way we serve primarily, not solely, the way we serve primarily is by bringing out the best in others. That is serving. And if you think about it, that's what Jesus did. He went about and brought out the best in others according to his capabilities. Now, I, I'm not going to get off into to some fringe subject here, but you know, when Jesus wanted to heal somebody of blindness or leprosy or being deaf or crippled, he did it because it, he was capable of it. Now, I, I wasn't, I'm not the son of God, okay? So I don't walk around promising people that I can heal them because I couldn't heal anybody. Only God can heal, okay? But I can go serve and bring out the best in others. And that is my responsibility and it is your responsibility as well. The first three, confession, repentance, and living righteously, that has to do with love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the serving part is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And how do you love your neighbor? You go out and you bring out the best in them according to your capabilities to your full potential. That doesn't mean because you serve somebody that you have to go take responsibility for their actions or their words or their thoughts or their emotions. It does not mean that you have to go and, and do everything for them. What we are supposed to do is to bring out the best in others. That's the way we're gonna serve. But Ed had his ears pinned back and we are flying uphill after a calf running about Mach 9 and Butthead's closing the distance. I'm squealing because I'm trying to stay on. While swinging my loop, and I saw a clearing about 60 feet around. And I was like, ooh, there's my chance. So I asked Butthead for one more gear, and he gave it to me, and we closed in on that. And I was telling Ty the other day, I said, right whenever I took a swing, I wanted to get that thing roped right before it, because it was going to go like this through the through the yuccas and the soapweed or whatever. And I, I knew I had to catch it before then or it was going to be harder. And right as I threw my loop, I kicked myself. I needed one more stride. I, I rushed it just a second and I hit him right in the back of the head. Dang. So I coiled my loop back up and butthead still, man, he's just flying and I'm trying to stay on. I'm squealing. My butt cheeks are all puckered and I'm holding on with everything, right? I build me another loop and I get out there and I miss again. Golly. Hey, man, can you come help me rope a calf? <laughs> well, I can throw loops at the calf. I don't know that I can catch it. So my young friend comes in there, man. And the first, when he makes it to us, because we're way up there by now. When he makes it to us, he builds his loop and tries to get in behind this calf. Nearly falls off his horse, too. But he gets in behind this calf and he takes his time. And he's not swinging real fast. And by this time, the calf's getting a little bit... You know, kind of, kind of took the afterburners out a little bit. Now he's just running. He's not hauling booty. And he takes the loop and it lands right on his nose. And he doesn't jerk his slack or anything. He just pitches a little bit, falls right over. He pulls his slack, dallies like he'd been doing it his entire life. And I come in there like a world champion PRCA healer that misses, throws it in the dirt. Dang it. Build me another loop. 
And I go over there to rope it again and it ducks under my horse. And if, if, you, if you never roped a calf in the pasture, you're not going to know what I'm saying about. So, you know, y'all five or six that's done it, y'all are going to know. I rode up this way. The calf is standing here and the calf goes this way under my horse's neck. And I tried to rope it underneath my horse. I'm like, what are you doing? You know? And so I, I literally, I'm sitting there laughing. I'm like, yeah, he called me for help. All I'm doing is throwing my shoulder out. So I build another loop. Like, walk up there, throw a nice trap. He pulls it through, double hawk, let the rope come tight. He gets off, doctors a calf. And we're done in 10 minutes. Done in 10 minutes. I didn't care about those misses because my conscience was clear. Because you see, I didn't go out there. I just called my daughter. Thought I heard the phone ringing. See? Hello? Yeah, I'm preaching right now, but I just, my butt dialed you. And so, oh, so anyway. All right, love you. Bye. It's real, right? We're just going to keep it real. Save the cowboy. So uh, I didn't care about the missed loops. I didn't go out there to rope a sick calf. I went out there to serve a young man and let him know that he is worthy of my time and worthy of God's love. I didn't go out there to rope a sick calf. I went out there for him to serve. And I went out there to bring out the best in him. And he didn't miss a single loop that day. And I congratulated him and I made a big deal about it. About, and, he, and, I, and I wasn't blowing smoke up his butt, okay? He did well. And I told him, and I kind of made a big deal about it because when you're young and, and, and you're, you're getting some more responsibility, you need that. I got two texts from him that day thanking me. And I went to God twice in prayer, thanking him for allowing me to serve somebody else and to try to bring out the best in him. 